This is SciBite, episode 97, for June 11th, 2013. everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live Tuesdays over at jblive.tv, and then available for download in your favorite podcast catcher and on jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. So, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at CoQ10 and your heart, a new multiple sclerosis treatment, Smart Legos, exoplanets, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. You know, that is so fantastic. I'm looking forward to the first news story just because I think neither one of us are going to be able to pronounce it. So let's do the news. Okay, before the show started, I'm going to be honest, I practiced some of the words in this story and I could not get it. But what are we going to talk about? <laughs> okay. See, I had like, I really felt like I knew how to say it, and now I don't. I'm sorry, I messed you up, huh? I psyched you out. Well, you can blame me now, and that's cool, okay. and I'll take it. I'll take it. My fault. We'll, we'll, we'll call it CoQ10, because that's what, like, you see it on the commercials. Yeah. And that's they actually shorten it that way, but it's coenzyme coenzyme Q10. Okay. Here on out, CoQ10. CoQ10 is way easier, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so... There has been a multi-center double-blind trial of this, which means double-blind, which means neither the doctors nor the patients know what is the real drug and what's the placebo. And from that, they saw that it decreased all mortality by half in heart failure. Wow. So, and it's like, that would make it the first drug in over a decade that would actually improve heart failure mortality. Hmm. So... This CoQ10 enzyme uh, actually occurs naturally in the body. It actually is an electron carrier um, to mito- mitochondria, which is like the, uh, you know, it makes the cells go. It gives them the power. And it produces all this energy. It's an antioxidant. And they've actually been able to see, you know, that when heart muscles of patients have, you know, this heart failure, it's, these levels are decreased. So they can see, like, the lower the levels of that, they see more severe heart failure uh, symptoms. Hmm. So, you know, this study, it actually saw that they did, you know, uh, 420 patients into two groups, whether they either got the CoQ10 or the placebo and followed them for about two years. And the endpoint being where... You had some major adverse cardiovascular event. MACE. They even have an acronym for that. <laughs> some sort of un, you know, unplanned for hospitalization due to working, worsening of the heart failure, uh, cardiovascular death, urgent cardiovascular transplanta- transplantation, all yeah. of these major events. They said, okay, you either go for two years or to that point. And it actually halved the risk of that with, with the CoQ10. So, like, 14% of the patients um, reached, uh, you know, an endpoint before the end of the two years, had one of those events. 
versus 25% of the patients in placebo. So from 14% to 25%. And it actually had the risk of dying from all causes. So it was only like 9% of the patients when Q10 and 17% of the patients in the placebo group. 17%. Okay. So you had, and because it's a naturally occurring substance, it's safe. It corrects for, it's all it's doing is a correcting for a deficiency in the body. It's, you know, blocking some metabolic cycles in chronic heart failure. Um, and because it, because of that, it doesn't have any of the side effects that other heart failure medications have. Huh. So, I mean, this is the first time since ACE inhibitors and beta blockers that were a decade ago that we've actually had something that that works for it. And uh, Samuel from the chat room asks, what is the margin of error? In these kind of studies, um, I'm not looking too too deeply because that would require a lot more biological science brain and that would take up a whole bunch of, of time. But generally, it's all these are just straight up out of the 420 patients. You know, it's directly percentages. They're just going straight. These ones live, these ones died. Or they had some sort of problem. Had some sort of event. Mm -hmm. It was just straight up that. It's, you know, with 420 people, they don't say that there's, they don't give a margin for error um, specifically. And so it actually is, you know, sold as an over-the-counter food supplement. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen commercials for it Hmm. where it's, you know, but, you know, as always, uh, we here on, uh, on Cybot and Jupiter Broadcasting suggest you consult a doctor before trying to medicate yourself with any and or all things talked about on this program. <laughs> okay, so I have my little commercial robot. Right. Disclaimer made. Disclaimer made. Um, but it was really interesting that there was, because I'd seen this kind of a thing on, you know, vague terms and saying, hey, CoQ10 is good for heart, it's good for this. But this is actually a study that went, you know, made a more direct analysis of the whole thing. And I, I think it's pretty encouraging whenever you cover something that's natural, something, you know, it's yes. already in the body. So there's, you, you know, with, with, like you mentioned, the reduced side effects, I didn't realize uh, it's funny how these things sort of exist and then they find new uses for them. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, I had multiple family members with, Various heart conditions. Mm-hmm. Both of my grandfathers had quadruple bypass. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've had angioplasty. They had all sorts of various things. So anything that's also, you know, heart things, I'm very yeah. keen to notice those. I'm also like, hey, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it affects a lot of families. A lot. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome stuff. Heather's got more information about that in the show notes. The first drug to improve heart failure mortality in over a decade. That's a pretty big deal. And uh, she's got a link to medicalexpress.com where they go into details. And I just did a Google News search while we were talking about it. Tons of sites now are writing about it. So it's getting out yeah. there. The news, the news is spreading. So that's cool. Uh, speaking of spreading the news. Father's Day is this Sunday. This is your official last-minute warning from the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, a little public service we do here for you folks. And I just want to remind you, when you go over to the Jupiter Broadcasting website, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you'll find links down there for Amazon for Netflix. Oh, Netflix for dad. That's not bad. New Egg, Think Geek. Oops, something funny at Think Geek. Best Buy, Audible. Not a bad way to go. And also extensions. So you can just tag that 
those sites and more sites whenever you be shopping. And uh, don't forget that, and this is, this is what I love about Amazon is they get me so well. Like you go into here and you're like, okay, so here's their Father's Day stuff. When in, Anything you buy in here, if you have our extension installed or use our link, portion of that purchase will go to Jupiter Broadcasting. And as, as the day gets closer, they'll start warning you down here. You need to order this by this time if you want it to arrive on time for Father's Day. I love it because for yep. me, I need just some, just give me the math right there. Put it right there. Yeah. So there you go, folks. Uh, don't forget uh, don't forget about Dad on Father's Day, and uh, use our links if you would before you shop. That way, you get when you're getting Dad something, then you're getting something for the Jupiter Broadcasting Network too, and we really appreciate that. Keeps us going, helps us pay the bandwidth yep. bills, and well, that's the circle yep. of life. Yep, you can make Dad proud. Say, hey. I'm supporting all sorts of news and science. That's true. That's true. Supporting independent media with your uh, Father's Day gift there, Dad. Look what a good person I've become. All right, Heather. With that filed, let's move on to the news bite. Okay, what are we covering in the news bite? All right, some more medical news. A phase one clinical trial has been gone through this actually doing a treatment to reset the immune system of multiple sclerosis patients. Oh, wow. It's actually showed it to be safe, dramatically reduced the immune system's reactivity to the myelin, which myelin is the insulating layer around the nerves, uh, the spinal cord, the brain, the optic nerves. Right. And in multiple sclerosis, your immune system decides that that layer is evil and it must attack it mm. like it would a cold mm. or anything else. So that leaves it open. And just like if you have a cable that has frays and there's open wiring or things like that where the insulation has been peeled back, you might not get good signal. You might not get any signal. You might get, you know, spotty signal. So that's kind of the same thing that happens on a very, very basic, you know, looking at it ratio It's that. You can range from mild limb numbness, paralysis, blindness. But what this does is actually, you know, current therapies suppress the entire immune system. Okay. Just like, um, you know, fighting, you know, often happens in cancer things where you kill off the entire immune system. Yeah. To reduce the fact of that attacking the myelin. But it also increases your susceptibility to everyday infections and actually can increase your chances for cancer. But so... You know, so it makes you incredibly susceptible to all types of, you know, all of these things that you need your immune system for. Um, so what this specifically is doing is it's taking out the patient's white blood cells. And it's putting, taking a whole bunch of those out. And then it does, it, in, it injects up to 3 billion of those with myelin in, antigens. Hmm. So it just like a whole bunch of a bunch of these white blood cells that they've taken out, put in these certain antigens into them. So it doesn't necessarily stop the body from attacking it, but it gives it's like it's like arming the other side. Um, yeah, kind of. Um, so I mean, it goes through and then it bring it hits the um, you know, hits the patient's body, and it's able to. Give them an immunity against that. So okay, okay. So it is sort they, of it's sort yeah, of have, an immunity, not so much a, a like a, a virus versus virus thing. No, let's say um, you have a allergy to bee venom, and they can go through and they can make you know that's an overreactive response to that from your body's immune system. 
it says, oh my goodness, go into crazy overdrive mode in that in a bad direction. What this is doing is it's saying, hey body, hey immune cells, knock, knock, knock. You don't have to freak out that much. So this is treating, sort of teaching the body that this is, that the myelin is not a foreign substance. It does not need to be attacked. Right. So it's, and do in doing that, it, you know, they did the treatment. Now, it really was only nine patients. So totally not statistically available for, um, you know, an overall treatment schedule. But with the amount of response that they had, it makes them hopeful. It looks like they've also done some research on mice. Um, yeah, they so, have. So they did a lot of the early testing. So they've, so they've done it on mice, and now they've even done it on some humans. Yep, and it's, you know, it doesn't, it has a lot of, you know, they've tested the safety, the tolerability, and there was no adverse effects to the, to the MS patients. Mm. And in fact, it didn't affect their healthy immune system. So their immune system still reacted naturally as it normally would wow. to, you know, things. And they actually did it, did another test where they had, um, some of them had had tetanus shots uh, before the, they received the treatment. And then after they received the treatment, they went back and tested, are you still, you know, immune to the tetanus from that shot? You know, seeing sort of a scatter shot, hey, did the immune system, something else that the body has been trained to ignore um, trained to do something too, does it still have that response? And it did. So it didn't affect any tetanus shots. It didn't affect the natural immune system, but it was teaching the body not to attack the myelin. That's really awesome. Wow. Uh, like Tannen's asking, uh, we have information on all of that stuff in the show notes too. Heather has links in there and including a video to it. I, I, I think that's a great, the way you put it's great. You're sort of reprogramming the body to learn not to attack that. And that's brilliant. Yeah. And they've actually seen, uh, the, doing the white blood cells, extracting them does cost mm. from what I see is not cost effective, but there is another study going on that's doing, uh, nanoparticles instead okay. of the white blood cells to essentially deliver the myelin antigen at the same thing. And it's I still, see. it's cheaper, more accessible to the general population. And it's looking to be just as effective. Interesting. So, Nanoparticles. Way of the future. That's incredible. I mean, that but, sounds like Star Trek right there. Yeah, but it's, I've known people with MS, so this is really you know, something like really exciting to be able to say, hey, this is a treatment that is actually working on the small scale. Let's see if it works on the future scale. It's yeah, not yeah. affecting overall immune capabilities. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an awesome benefit, the, uh, the uh, immune system. Yeah. Awesome, Heather. All right. So uh, are you ready for the two-byte news? I think so. Hit it, band. <clears throat> All right. I think, I think the coffee you put out before the show really helped them be on their game today. Yeah. Well, and we also fed them uh, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, not oh, today. I mean, I'm okay. not made of money, Heather. <laughs> yeah, you know. All right. So what are we going to talk about in the two-byte news? All right. Legos, they're awesome. Now, these are even more awesomer. Uh -oh. Yes, I just made up a word. More so, awesomer. What is it? Okay. So a recent tour of the Sony Computer Science Laboratories in Tokyo actually found some had one group go in and found Legos with 
cameras, with motors, with rudimentary AI. They could actually, like, they had a camera pointing down to a, you know, a big matter platform. And the computer, you had, they were doing it with PlayStation remote controls. So they had one Lego where it actually had, like, a little camera set up so you could watch a screen or watch it in real life. And, and move around. That is so cool. It's like real life video games. Yeah, so you could move it around and then the computer would actually control the other one and sort of try to chase it down. There are, they are, they're like controlling these robots with controllers and then watching them on their Android tablets. I love this. Yeah, so it is crazy. It was just hilarious. I was like, and you thought Legos were cool in our day. Whoa, look at that. They're controlling a drone. That is so cool. By turning around, by by with a virtual headset. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then at WWDC yesterday at the uh, Worldwide Developers Conference, Apple put on. They had these guys come out and demonstrate uh, controlling uh, a bunch of mini vehicles with oh, uh, yeah. with control with uh, like iPhones or whatever. So this is going to be big, huh? This is the direction that a lot of gaming's going. This is look at this. He he's got this headset, Heather, and when he walks, the drone. Move echoes his movements. That is really. Sad. Oh my gosh! So yeah, uh, way of the but, future. Yeah, so they were saying you're like Legos. Yeah, they're they're there, but we need to like upgrade them to today's kids because they're interested in video games. So we need to like up <laughs> the ante. Got to get them ready for the new generation. Well, and little like little Lego cars that you can motorize and drive around your house and watch. They got my attention. I want to go get me some Lego. Let go. Yes. Let go. Can't say the S, Heather. I, I know. Somebody in the chat, Samuel, was like, Lego is the plural of Lego, and my brain knows that. And every time I try to type it, there's an S. Every time I say it, there's an S. Now we have a conflict on the old budget sheet because I, it sounds like I need to make some room for some super high-tech Lego. But then you're telling me, new planet found by a super small telescope. Maybe I want to go that route instead. Yes, there is. You know, we have Kepler, you know, telescope. That sad face slanty was doing its thing up in space, but there's actually a the kilodegree extremely little telescope is what they call it. That there's a couple of ground based tools that they are actually able to see a planet pass in front of its star. They so about it was in Arizona and South Africa, two telescopes, and they actually spotted a Saturn ish planet orbiting a star about 700 light years away. Now it's. You could see it transit in front of its sun for exactly five hours. Cool. And a year only lasts seven and well, seven point eight days. Now it doesn't have rings mm-hmm. like Saturn. They're just kind of saying it has a rough mass and size that resembles Saturn. Okay. So it's not as cool as Saturn. No, it doesn't have rings. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sort of I found it really compelling because it was you know, we're getting into the smaller and the smaller where the Ground-based telescopes are having the ability to do this, and you're able to have multiple smaller telescopes work together yeah. to be able to make these kind of observations. I like that. Yes. Really cool. So um, when, when, when they say extremely small, why, why do they call it, or little telescope, why do, they, I mean, why do they make such a big deal about, so it's still like much bigger than anything that I would own. Right, it's yeah, yeah, bigger than than you and I would own. Okay, so it's but, not really like a little telescope. And, no, oh, that would so that makes any telescope I would ever own like what a toy. That makes it a toy to them. They uh, laugh at me. 
It's a Lego tool. It's a Lego telescope. There you go. Nice. Well, uh, buckle up, everybody. As what happens from time to time here on the Sidebite, we have some stories that have leveled up. We got some updates. Yes, we do. Still talking exoplanets. All right. So Kepler's space telescope mission has found, you know, 2,700 more plus potential exoplanets. Yeah. And we've made, now researchers have done follow-up observations of about 300 of those in which they go through and they do some more ground-based telescope looking and say, okay, yes, we're, it gets the, the, the other check mark saying, yes, it is harboring an exoplanet. But now some findings in one piece of work that's going through and looking at these says the planets might actually be slightly larger than previously thought. Mm. Like, and a quarter of them might be at least like 35% larger. How does this happen? It's, we're making some assumptions on certain distances and sizes and saying, okay, if we see it in this fashion, then make a, make a marker. This is this size. And then stretch it from there, bigger or smaller. But this, these observations go through and they look at it in a different way. I think it's looking at the wobble or... It kind of got into sort of slant ways looking at it, and it was just it's just the way that they were looking at it. Now they kind of go back over it again, take another pass, and say, ah, Yeah, they're, they're taking maybe. a second pass at it. Uh-huh. And so that means, essentially what it means is the stars themselves are bigger than they thought. Mm. If the stars themselves are bigger, then the planets are obviously, as, as there being a percentage of the star's face. Right, that I understand. Sure, of course. Yeah, they're like, oh, well, if we change X here, then we have to change Y over here on the planet size. Yep, and depending on how many that is, or if this is true, that also changes the number of candidate, quote, Earth-sized planets. Because if they are indeed 35% bigger, then some of these planets would move outside the range of Earth size. If you're Uh, making know a third bigger a little more than a third bigger than so now it's kind of going back and saying okay what percentage of these stars are bigger than we thought which means what percentage of those planets are bigger than we thought and then trying to figure out a new way to have the ruler out there and say okay this is going to be this big this is going to be that big so we can kind of narrow it down and i'm not a hundred percent sure that this test is this study is actually going to pan that it's a hundred percent right but it is fairly compelling so. It seems like we could just save ourselves a lot of time and a lot of hassle if they just built themselves a starship and then sent me out there to find out what's up. And then I, and that, then would, that would be a side by that would be really long delay. Yeah, but I could I could just go out there and measure these things. It's not a big deal. I'll just go out there with a spacesuit and a super long uh-huh. tape tape uh, measurement and just uh-huh. orbit it. Ah, no problem. Yeah, the, the exoplanets we were just talking about was seven hundred light years away. So. Um, hmm. I I don't know what you're gonna do for the next uh, show. What is that? Uh, unfiltered tech snap, uh, photo <laughs> show. That they might be slightly delayed. You might want to update this this the calendar. schedule on the website. Yeah, I'll just keep everybody updated on the JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash calendar. Okay. <laughs> well, like, yes, you know, we'll all see. shows delayed due to Chris wanting to travel to due to Chris traveling the universe. Uh, yes, back in a few thousand years. Well, I'll, I'm still workshopping, as they say in the biz. I'm workshopping that, Heather. Hey, but you know what I was thinking? 
What? While we're up in space, what do you say we uh, shoot over to Mars and do a curiosity update? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. Wheel over there. So, uh, uh, curiosity rover back in action, right? Yes, we've been back in action for a little while. And we've actually started a new phase of the mission, sort of. We have done a whole bunch of the science around... You know, we've done all the drilling, all the looking in a vaguely the same area. So now they've kind of switched to a distance drive mode. Now they're hitting the they're hitting the road. They're doing their uh, road trip. And their aim is about eight kilometers, five miles away to the base of what they're calling Mount Sharp. All right. So they've overall mission objective was to find evidence of an ancient environment favorable to conditions for microbial life. Already done that. The entire goal of the mission, click, check mark, already done that. Are you serious? So now, We're, we got it? We're done? It's in the bag? Well, we found that. We found in the drilling sites we located it was, okay, yes, this could have supported microbial life. Sure. Wow. So we found that. So now it's just, okay, so we found it in this area. How far else can we go and what all are we going to see as we head to this? Um, right. The Mount Sharp area. So we've had the second drilling target. It provided, um, you know, more analysis from the the John Klein, the first one. So they're kind of, last time I read, they were still kind of finishing off analysis of that. Now, one, one cool thing is that they're now able to drive while holding rock powder. So they're able to walk and, like, And hold. analyze and, and store. Yeah, they're... Yep, so they're analyzing, and they've got this, another scoop still there. So if they, if something happens to an analysis that they're going through, they're like, eh, I don't think that was a good test. We need to try again. So they still got the scoop of dirt that they got from way back there. Oh, so they're still driving. So and, That's you know, good for comparison, get, potentially, right? Like, oh, well, here's a scoop. We'll get a scoop here. we got a scoop from over here. We look at the two and say this scoop matches that scoop. We're good to go. Well, it also lets them start going. It's... um. You know, you have, you know, a cup of water or something that you're wanting to test and you can fill up that cup. You can start the test and then you can have another cup that you're just kind of holding as you're walking to the next location Mm -hmm. and you're still able to test as you're walking or as you're, you know, a half mile down the road or whatever, you're still able to test what you took from back there. So it gives them another additional sort of way to not stay in this one position too long. Yeah. Keep on moving. moving. Yep, they can keep on moving. They've got um, now the drilling, the first drilling event took each step that they took more took a, more than a day. And for the second drilling attempt at drilling at John Klein, they combined it all into one day. Hmm. So it was much faster, much more efficient. They've been able to use the experience and lessons as well as, um, you know, some sample capability cache sample capabilities they're able to they've uploaded some um more autonomous self-protection software into the rover so you're able to string more activities together so they can say okay do a b c d and e hmm. and then it'll start driving if it runs into a problem it stops right. and it calls back home hey, hey i'm, I'm on aisle i'm i'm on step b kind of <laughs> lost there's a rock here Clean it's up in my way Mars. yeah yeah, I need help. So, I need help. What should I do? Back, 
And then we say, oh, okay, do this. <laughs> but it allows them to, instead of say, do step A, wait, 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 I'm okay, excellent. Step B, wait, wait, it lets them do all those together so that you, things can go much faster. So you're able to do much more in a single day. Now they've, they have a few more targets that they're going to check out before they start on their road trip. Um, there's an area between some bedrock and some mudstone and sandstone. They're calling it shaler, which might be a river deposit, what they're looking at. So they're going to look at that. There's an outcrop that looks like it might be volcanic or sedimentary. What was all the hubbub I heard this week about how they've found they've found absolute evidence that Mars could support life? I heard a hubbub about that this week. Have you heard about that? Yes, that was Opportunity Rover. We actually talked about that. Okay, so this is what we covered like a while ago? Yeah, this is the opportunity stuff that we covered a couple weeks ago. So the mainstream media like, is just I, like, because like, uh, I'm like, okay, so. I, I, I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, more. And then I was reading it. Right, I was reading it. I was like, right, right. this is just saying that they found yeah. that it was pH neutral stuff. So it was just like water. We talked about that already. Yeah, that's what I found. thought. But then I thought, am I misunderstanding? Or, yeah, okay. No, I, I looked at it thinking that I was misunderstood. Yeah. Well, it's I, interesting how that how we've noticed that a few times on this show, how these stories either come out a few weeks later or they come out again, even though the same story. It's not the first time that's happened. No. It was funny. I was like, I've seen this story before. Why is it happening again? Is there something new? <laughs> but as far as I looked, it was just the, essentially the same information. It was just Opportunity Rover has seen, you know, the first it's the first time in its lifetime. Yeah. That it actually saw, you know, things that indicated there was water neutral, you know, pH neutral stuff. It's exciting. I mean It is definitely exciting. And the news I mean, hey, you know, if people want to get excited about it, I'm all about that. Yep. I mean opportunity's still going. It's got, you know, nine years and it's going on. And, you know, curiosity's seen it. So we see it in multiple parts of Mars now. So Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, so uh, now the only way to get back to Earth after you've taken a trip to Mars, of course, is through the space-time continuum, which thankfully we happen to have a very handy time machine right here. So, Heather, jump in the time machine. It's time okay. to go. All right, close the door. Okay, close. It's time to go. All right, here we go. Here we go. Ah, I got the, uh, the batteries charged up. and oh, This seems to be ancient history, Heather. 30 years ago, June 13th, 1983. What happened this week in science? Oh, not so ancient, but... Pioneer 10, which was a probe vehicle, actually crossed the orbit of Neptune, became the first man-made object to, what this article was saying, is leave our solar system. But essentially, since Neptune is now the last planet, it was the first one to leave all the planets. So, launched in 1972, just straight line, beelining it, and... Getting there as fast as it can. Fast as it could. Where's it going, though? Across the Neptune. Um, Where's it going to end up? Do we know? One, What's the goal? The goal was essentially the same as the Voyagers. Yeah. Was to hit the outer solar system, take pictures. Let's see. I mean, Do some science years, on the edge. Yeah. I mean, in 2002, it actually made contact with it. Um, it was at seven, a little over seven and a half billion miles. And it was a 22-hour and a half round trip for the signal. You know, that's the speed of light. 22 hours. Wow. 22 and a half hours. Wow. But, so it was, it's still working. It's still going, at least from 2002 when we last spoke to it, I believe. But kind of funny and odd, it marked, launched in 1972. Right. Crossed Neptune's orbit in 83. Okay. Now, 
five years after it launched, Voyager 1 was launched. And that actually overtook Pioneer 10 in 98. Because of the so slingshot, it, uh, it got a little, it yeah, got a little uh, ride on yeah, the slingshot. This, yeah, the slingshot made it go fast. I mean, even the the probe we're sending to Pluto, um, New Horizons, mm-hmm. and it's the fastest thing we've shot off. You know, it's nuclear, you know, some nuclear propulsion, and it's gone faster than anything else we've had. It and it will never catch up to Voyager, Voyager one. Hmm. Just because of the head start there, yeah. Well, the head start and the speed at which the slingshot gave it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sure. So it's so Pioneer Ten had its um. So in in eighty three thirty years ago this week, it had its moment of the sun, being the farthest, um, you know, actually surpassing Neptune's orbit, and it ruled the ruled the farthest man made object, and you know, and, until ninety eight, which. Then it came second banana. But 30 years ago this week, it actually crossed the orbit of Neptune, as they say, leaving the all the planets, current planets of the solar system. We call that a long, a long race. That's the long race there, Heather. That's what that yes. is. All right. Well, I'll recalibrate the SciBite 2000 so that way we can look up into the sky this week. All righty. On Saturday, June the 15th, about 45 minutes after sunset, look to the west, northwest to see Mercury and Venus. Now, this week, total, the Mercury and Venus will kind of, they'll be in twilight, well, in the west-northwest horizon. Mercury will be starting to fade out this week. It'll start being dimmer and dimmer. And so, they're hanging out there. Mars and Jupiter are hanging out in the glare of the sun. Hmm. So, we're kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. Or, Saturn, or baking in the sun, maybe. Yeah, baking in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturn, you're going to be able to see in the evenings in the south. With these uh, giant blue white, giant white, uh, blue white star Spica, and so look to the south, you'll see two bright stars. Got Saturn to the left and Spica to the right. Right on, very good. All of that, of course, outlined in the show notes. Just go to the bottom of the show notes for episode ninety-seven of the Sci-Fi Program, and Heather even has a handy visual guide embedded in the show notes for you. Now yes. that is perfect. That kind of lets you know exactly what you're looking at. Uh, very good. Well, Heather, I believe that brings us to the end, doesn't it? I think so. All right, everyone. Well, don't forget we love hearing from you. You can email us, scibite at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or hit that contact link at the top of our site. And don't forget SciBite's live on Tuesdays over at jblive.tv, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Heather, thanks for the great show. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of SciBite. Thanks to our live chat room for joining us, and we'll hope to see you right back here next week. <laughs>